0: those who bear fruit. So basically what Jesus is doing is he is defining the relationship. Now that's a, uh, that's a term from the 90s. I don't know, do, do teenagers you still use that, the DTR, the defining the relationship? Cody, have you ever had the define the relationship talk? Okay, so, and I don't know if anybody before us had that, had that talk, but uh, here's what happens, here's what the DTR, right? Here's what the defining the relationship talk was. Fellas, it's when you were spending a lot of time with a particular young lady Right? You were talking a lot on the phone, and that was a landline. Um, we didn't have a cell phone. And like you were writing notes to each other, like notes with a pen and a piece of paper, right And you would pass those off in the hallway at school. And after a while, fellas, uh, the, the lady would get, get kind of tired of this open-ended arrangement, and she would want to have what's known, what was known as the DTR, right? Um, maybe, maybe that was just where I grew up. But uh, right? Def- we needed to define the relationship. We needed to talk about, okay, you know, this is, ladies, this is when you ask the guy the question, okay, what exactly are we, right? Um, we, need to, we need to move beyond just talking, right? Now, all of a sudden, we got to put a label on it, all right? We, are we boyfriend, girlfriend, or not? That was defining the relationship. So, what Jesus is doing over this chapter, and really on into the next chapter, is he is defining our relationship with him, and we started by on, on what we would say the positive side, right? Here is... To put it another way, here is what you can expect if you are connected to Jesus. And so what we looked at last week was, if you are connected to Jesus, you can expect that you will bear fruit, that your life will increasingly look like Jesus' life. That's what you can expect on the positive side. Today, things take a negative turn, Uh, what you might expect or what you can expect when you are Connected to Jesus, um, this is the underside of that. Jesus says in verse 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Let's pray. Lord, these are weighty words, heavy words. Would you help us by your grace to digest them, to make sense of them, to apply them? oh Lord God, would you come and would you open the word to our eyes and to our hearts? that it may bear fruit in us, the fruit, of, the fruit of true faith, the fruit of believing and trusting in Jesus, and the fruit of persevering faith, a faith that does not give up, uh, but, but lays hold of the surety, lays hold of the rock. Would you help us now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let me introduce you to a man named Bull. Bull is a Middle Eastern man, and Bull is a terrorist. He is a, he is a religious zealot, and he believes that Christianity and Christians pose a threat to the truth about his God. And so Bull makes it his life's mission to find uh, and to arrest and to torture, and to kill Christians. And what Jesus says about people like Boole is, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when people hate you, because they hated me before they hated you. In fact, what Jesus says is you can expect opposition. You can expect people to hate you, because the world hates those who are connected to Jesus, because the world hates Jesus. And we're going to, those are some big assertions, and so we're going to unpack all of that. But here's really the big idea, that to be accepted by Jesus means to be rejected by the world. If you are one with Jesus, we looked at the positive side last week, to be one with Jesus is to bear fruit, but also to be one with With Jesus means to be rejected by the world. You cannot have it both ways. Your loyalty, there is no such thing as divided loyalty here. Uh, To be one with Jesus is to be um, rejected by the world. And so the first thing that Jesus says is to expect opposition. Look again at verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And so, in one sense, we could say Jesus is saying, listen, if the world hates you, understand that it's not your fault. It's my fault. They hated me before they hated you. And so, and, and look, the word hate, it really means what it, what it says, right? To hate means to despise, to reject, to loathe. And the reason the world loathes Christians, the reason the world loathes uh, those who follow Jesus is because, as Jesus says, uh, I chose you out of the world. Now, Jesus is talking to these first disciples, these first 11 men, uh, but since every other disciple of Jesus is grounded on their witness, on their testimony, he's talking to everyone who will follow him. Jesus says, you're not of it. You're not from here. Or actually, you are from here, but you've been pulled out of here. And because of that reality, because you have been pulled out of the world, the world now hates you. Right. So to use the vine imagery, uh, because you have been grafted onto the vine, because you were a branch stuck onto the vine of Jesus, wrapped with some tape, and now there's life flowing in there, Right. because that has happened to you, you've basically said, I reject the world. And because you have said that, the world will now reject you. Uh, So to put positively, Christians are hated because they belong to Jesus. And put negatively, Christians are hated because they do not belong to the world. That's the meaning of of. We are no longer of the world. We are of Jesus. And because we are of Jesus, the world now stands in opposition. Not because of who we are but because of who Jesus is. Um, so it's hatred by association. Um, I, have, I have worn the crimson and white in Death Valley, right, in, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, in the land of purple and gold. And if you wear crimson and white in the land of purple and gold, you are hated by association, Right? I didn't do anything to that guy, but he is saying the meanest things about me and about my mother, right? Um, and let's not labor under the, the, the illusion that that doesn't happen in Tuscaloosa, too, right? That to wear uh, orange and blue in Tuscaloosa doesn't mean that you're not going to find somebody who's going to say awful things about you and awful things about your family. That's kind of the nature of, of hatred by association. Even though I've done nothing personally, I'm hated because of the colors I'm wearing, to take it a step further, um, this, is, this is like when we, when we despise or loathe a certain people group or a certain culture simply because of the way that they look or we don't understand customs and practices. We have never actually met uh, one of those people we, or maybe we've met one or two and we didn't like them and so now by association we reject the whole lot. We loathe the whole lot. That's what is going on here uh, so it's hatred by association, but it's even it's even more than that. It's hatred because Christians are traitors. Uh, Christians once belonged to the world. Uh, and remember that when John uses that, that phrase, the world, when he uses that word world in his gospel, he's talking about the world as it stands in rebellion against God. That's how John means the world. The world is in rebellion against its king, against its creator, and so to be in the world means to be in rebellion against God. And what Jesus is saying is, because I have come into the world, into, to, to you rebellious people, and I have grabbed you out of it, the world now despises you. You are now traitors to the cause. I've brought you from being traitors to being in rebellion to being in submission. You now belong to a different country. And because of that, because you are traitors to the, to the rebels, you are now despised. We Christians used to belong, used to be rebels, uh, but Jesus, Jesus has brought them out of that rebellion, and so the world hates. And what that means is that the more a Christian grows in joyful obedience to the king, the more and more she bears fruit, the more and more she looks like Jesus and less like the world, the more and more opposition will come, the more she will be despised. Which, again, seems counterintuitive. You would think, okay, uh, if I'm growing to be more and more like Jesus, then, then the world will grow in its love for me. But Jesus says actually the exact opposite happens. Um, the world actually grows in its hatred. Because your words and your deeds are a direct reminder of who the rightful king really is imagine imagine a country in submission uh, under a foreign power in subjection under a foreign power. This, is, this plays out all over the world so it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination. but one of the more interesting things we spent a little bit of time in China uh, and the Chinese, I'm just speaking in general terms. The, the Chinese loathe the Japanese; they hate them, and in some ways, with good reason, because of what the Japanese did to all of the people surrounding them in World War II. Um, but particularly to the way that they subjugated uh, a lot of the Chinese, uh, a lot of the Chinese people, a lot of the Chinese. They were very violent, very uh, ruthless people when they invaded their country. Um, and so for people who are under the boot, so to speak, they loathe the oppressor, right? They loathe uh, the one who is in authority. That's a negative connotation. But, um, but in this sense, right, the world loathes those who are connected to Jesus because it reminds them of who the king really is. It reminds them of who the rightful king really is. Uh, and we, we hate this we hate this because we really want to fit in. Right? I mean that it's 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 human nature to want to belong. And whether it's, you know, the shabby chic decorations in your home or the right fashion or the right truck in your driveway, we we have a desperate need to belong. Now, nothing's wrong with shabby chic or a big truck. I'm not saying that. But We are a people consumed with belonging. We want to belong. We want to be accepted. And so Jesus is reminding potential followers that to be connected to him means that you can't belong. Or really that belonging to him means that you cannot belong to the world, that you will fit in. The more and more you belong to Jesus, the less and less you will fit in. And all of this... Verse 21, will be on account of Jesus' name. All these things they will do to you on account of my name. And what this means is that we, we ought to be hated for the right reasons. Uh, the gospel reminds us that we, that, that, that Christians are not, uh, Christians are hated because of who Jesus is and not necessarily because of who we are. The gospel is clear that Jesus' followers are not morally superior people. Okay? Uh, So what that means, right, and, and we say that because Jesus says that. I've chosen you out of the world. So Jesus says, look, you don't belong to me because you're smarter or better or holier or anything like that. You belong to me because I love you and chose you to me. And so that means you're not morally superior. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. But God made you alive by His mercy. By grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. it is the gift of God so that no one may boast. So Christian, if you are hated because you boast in your moral superiority, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Uh, Henry Lewis Smith, uh, a pastor that uh, a name many of you will know. he's a pastor in our uh, in our region, and um, he, is, he was a help to our former Pastor Jake, and to me, he, he's, a, he's a dear man, and I remember one of the things he said to me, one of the things he said to me before is, Kevin, let Jesus be the most offensive thing about you, and what he meant by that was that as a, as a pastor, uh, I can, look, I have opinions on lots of different subjects, uh, and I can even have strong opinions and you know what, I think they're right, or I wouldn't hold them, okay? Uh, that's the nature of opinion, right? I'm, I'm pretty dogmatic about it because I think I'm right. Um, and what Henry Lewis said was, whether, whether it's the endorsement of a presidential candidate or speaking on a particular social issue, those things are less important. Let Jesus be the most offensive thing about you, not your opinion on a particular topic, but Jesus, let Jesus be the one who offends, not you. And so, let's be hated for the right reasons. Uh, Jesus says, "Expect opposition," and then he says, "Know its source. Where is the opposition coming from?" Right. That, that's what Jesus covers next, and it kind of it raises this question. So, why would anybody hate Jesus? I mean, you think about like the public perception of Jesus. He's a fairly nice guy, right? He's, you know, if if you've if you've not if you're not super familiar, just kind of heard about it, popular popular knowledge, right? He's fair, he's compassionate, he talks a lot about love, he speaks for the downtrodden, right? He protects the outcast and he rails against people who use their wealth and privilege to attack others. And so Jesus seems like a really great guy to be around. Somebody you could be comfortable with, you know? I mean, just think about it. He approaches, uh, we saw it in John 4, he approaches this unapproachable woman that no Jewish man in his right mind would ever approach. Right? She's a, she's a woman, and she's a Samaritan. So we don't, we don't mix and mingle with other people. And not only that, but she's got a sketchy past. So, no Jewish man in his right mind would approach her, but Jesus does. Jesus sees the people we ignore. Jesus puts a light on areas of our lives that we would rather not see. So, why would people hate Jesus? For that very reason. If you think that Jesus, that being with Jesus would be a comfortable experience, that's only in your own imagination. You have not read the biblical accounts of Jesus' life. When you come face-to-face with a biblical Jesus, and if you can come face-to-face with Jesus and leave unimpressed, apathetic, or with warm fuzzies, then you really haven't come face-to-face with the biblical Jesus. Because when you come face-to-face with Jesus, the real Jesus, you actually come face-to-face with God himself. And that's kind of like coming face-to-face with a tornado, or Niagara Falls, and not having anywhere to run and hide. Meeting God is not comfortable. In fact, it will wreck you. If you don't take shelter, just look at what Jesus says in verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. Now, Jesus is not saying that if he hadn't shown up, people would have been guiltless, that there, that, that there would be no sin. That's not what Jesus is saying. Uh, finish the verse. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they, but now they have no excuse for their sin. What Jesus is saying is that his words and his deeds cause people to see their sin. He brings it into the light. He brings guilt into the light. So listening to Jesus, our guilt is brought to the forefront. Um, If I were to get in the pool and try to swim next to Michael Phelps, my insufficiency would be brought out pretty quickly, right? Right? You would understand the lack pretty quickly. Jesus says, that's what happens when I talk, when I work. My words leave you no excuse. There's nothing to hide behind. You cannot cover up your guilt. Verse 23, whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Jesus' works reveal, uh, reveal God, and because they do, sinful men are without excuse. Jesus lays us bare. And so the reason that the world hates Jesus is because He's so good. Not good in a good to hang around with, but good in the so completely perfect that you feel ashamed, and you feel guilty, and you want to be better, and you can't be better. And so it's Jesus' complete and total goodness, his perfection, that causes the world to hate him. Uh, imagine we consist, a, a, make up a small town, and we find a mine, and we think it's full of gold. Now it's not actually gold; it's what's called fool's gold. Pyrite is its technical name, but we think it's gold because we don't know the difference, and so and so we mine we mine it all out, and we make jewelry out of it, and we you know we're, we're just so proud of the gold that we found. We're really proud of all this worthless shiny rock. And then a stranger comes to town, and he's got real gold, twenty-four karat pure. Gold. He's covered in it. He wears it. He rides in it. Everything about this guy is the real deal. And now, all of a sudden, as you look at your pile of worthless rocks, and you look at his pure 24 karat gold, how do you feel? What is your attitude towards that man? You hate him. Because what's he, what's he done? He's exposed, he's exposed your foolishness. His, what he's carrying, his, his rock of great value, makes your rock have no value. You, uh, your, what you thought was valuable, he is now shown to be a sham. And that's what Jesus does. And that's not typically the way we think about Jesus, but it's what he did to the religious leaders in Jerusalem. When he showed up, he caused the world to see just how far short it falls. He exposed the lie because he is unassailable truth. He exposed all the bad because he is complete and perfect good. And so the world hates Jesus. Has Jesus done this to you yet? Have you come face to face with Jesus And seeing just how far short you fall. Maybe you feel like you're pretty good at the whole religion thing. But then you look at Jesus' life. Jesus who always did the Father's will. Jesus whose every sacrifice was perfect. Jesus whose life was a perfect sacrifice. And you realize just how far short you fall. Or maybe you're not religious at all. Maybe uh, you maybe you're even kind of torn that you know maybe there's not really a God but we just need to be we just need to be good people right love other people um, do the best that we can even that even that is put to shame by Jesus because he's, he did more than anybody else ever could he loved people completely he gave for them completely I mean good grief the man was awake helping people. Uh, For most of the day and into the night, got a few hours of sleep and then woke up early the next morning to pray. Nobody's record matches Jesus. And just in that, right, the more you listen to Jesus, the more his words get into you. He starts opening those doors you deadbolted a long time ago. He goes down into the basement and starts unearthing things you completely forgot about. And he starts turning the lights on. And you want to say, Jesus, stop. Don't do that. Don't bring that out. That's not necessary. There's no safety where Jesus is concerned. He kicks down the doors and he turns on the lights. And that's a pretty scary prospect. Unless there's a hiding place. Unless unless there's a shelter from the storm. Niagara Falls is beautiful, but it's most beautiful when you can go underneath it to the walkways carved into the rock so that you're not crushed by the weight of the water. That's what Jesus does. Jesus not only exposes our sin and brings us up short, but then he offers himself He brings us up short, not so that we shake our fist at the heavens, but so that we open up our hands and we say, Have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus is our hiding place. Not only does he reveal our glaring sinfulness, but then he offers himself as the way of escape. He offers himself as the hiding place from the storm. So how do we respond Jesus says, expect opposition. The world hates me, so they're going to hate you. And then he says, and you need to know why they hate you. Know its source. The world hates me because I reveal its guilt. I reveal its sinfulness. But if you're in me, your guilt is cleansed. You are forgiven. And so how do you respond? We respond in Jesus. Look at verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. So he's sent from the Father, just like Jesus is. Here we're talking about Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Notice uh, that he's not an it. It's a he, the Spirit of truth. He will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. So the first way to respond to opposition is to bear witness. And when does a witness bear witness? When he's in the stand at the trial, right? When he's under scrutiny. But the good news is, we don't bear witness alone. In fact, the Holy Spirit is bearing witness in us. I love the way that Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He says this. 2 Corinthians 2:14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us th- spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. So what Paul is saying is if you're a Christian, if you're in Jesus, you smell. Right? You smell like Jesus, hopefully. Spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. Uh, now, smell, as they say, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, so I guess a good smell is in the nostril of the smeller. Verse 15 For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To some people, Jesus stinks. And if you are connected to Jesus, you stink. You smell like death, but to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? That is the ministry of the Spirit in the life of the believer as we bear testimony, as we smell, as we spread the fragrance of the knowledge of God in Christ. But then there's a second response. In the midst of hatred, we will bear witness, but also in the midst of hatred... We need to persevere. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. I have said all these things to you so, to keep you from falling away. It's interesting. Well, let me keep reading. They will, they will put you out of the synagogues. They will alienate you. They will kick you out. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Jesus doesn't say, hey, listen, I'm going to keep you from being thrown out on your butt. Nope, that's going to happen. And he doesn't say, hey, listen, I'm going to keep you from being killed. No, Jesus does not view those as the worst things that could happen to you and me. What Jesus says is, I want to keep you from walking away, from apostatizing, from unbelief, from falling away, the pressure to give up. Is great, it's very real, and Jesus wants his followers to know what to expect so they are ready for that temptation. Death will come, uh, alienation will come, but you will not fall away. Now, does it, is this Jesus? Is he contradicting himself? Earlier he said, um, No one that the Father has given me I will let out of my hand, right? I'm the good shepherd. None of my sheep are going to be let go. No, Jesus isn't contradicting himself. What he's doing is he's warning those who would become potential followers. He's saying, listen, this is going to be hard. You're going to have to persevere. And if you fall away, it's going to show that you really weren't mine to begin with. And so... He wants us to be aware of just how difficult the road will be. And he also wants, to know, wants us to know um, that he is holding on. I have said these things to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I am with you. Which brings us back to Bull. Jesus says, don't be surprised by bull's hatred. Don't be afraid of bull. Do you know why? Do you know what bull's name is in English? Paul, the apostle, a Middle Eastern man and religious fanatic whose mission in life was to find, arrest, torture, and kill Christians. Do you know what happened to that Middle Eastern terrorist? On his mission to find, arrest, torture, and kill Christians, he met Jesus. And Jesus knocked him to the ground and changed his entire life. Don't be afraid of the opposition. It is no match for the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your grace, for your love, for your people, that though we are hated by the world because we belong to the king and because we belong to, to the rightful king who is very clear about goodness and holiness and truth, because we are, we are a part of him, so we are loathed, we are despised, and that's okay. Would you help us to love you more than we love being the king of a vast domain? More than having silver or gold? More than belonging? Oh, that we would see that belonging to you is of greater worth than belonging to the world. And Lord... We praise you that even opposition is part of your plan, even as Jesus said it was to be fulfilled in their law that they have hated me without a cause. Lord, that the hour of opposition is not unknown to you, but that actually the hour of greatest opposition against you was your hour the hour of your greatest triumph against them. Indeed, may we learn much from your life and your death, that in the moment when you looked most like the loser, you were actually winning. You were actually defeating death and beating sin and bringing an end to all of that for our good. So that we can be okay if we look like losers. Because we are one with the King who has already won. And is spreading the fragrance of his triumph and victory across the world. We pray that it would permeate our hearts. That it would permeate our homes and our church. And that it would permeate our community. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and think.